Thank you very much, Malama, and thank you for your text to us on mistaken identity. Uh, my partner is called Carol Shand, the same as the well-known doctor. We've been invited to events at the Governor-General's residence, which I know weren't meant for us. And my partner got invited to review a PhD on vaginal injury once, but has only useful knowledge as she fell off her bike once as a child, so she declined. <laughs> uh, and this one, I've been, invi- I've been mistaken for a very well-known journalist. People tell me that tell me they enjoyed my piece. I don't know how that would work because she writes for the LA Times. Uh, and name's Harry. Was working on a super yacht in Italy. Pulled in, pulled into Porto Esposito. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. In Sicily, had a crowd of a hundred plus. Think I was Prince Harry. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> uh, my guests on the panel this afternoon, Paula Penfold and Wade Jackson. And uh, Paula, in the I've Been Thinking, was talking about local body elections and making sure that you vet the people that you're voting for, at least you know. And questions to you, Paula, lots of questions for you. I'll just put a couple to you because I think they're really important. Where do you think the working poor have the time or energy to put into being active in local or national politics, barely making ends meet and very time poor trying to make ends meet. Uh, so that's a big issue, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. I completely understand the reason for asking that question. It takes you know, potentially a huge amount of time to look into these issues and lots of people don't have that time. But there is lots of reporting being done. Um, there's not yet a nationwide database but there is lots of reporting so I would just urge that when you do get a spare five minutes during the day, have a look at some of that journalism that's being undertaken up and down the country by my colleagues uh, who, are, who are looking at candidates everywhere. And uh, can you please ask Paula this, I'm going to meet the candidate, I'm going to uh, meet the candidate meeting on Sunday, what questions can I ask them individually, like are you or have you ever been affiliated with organisations mm. like Voices for Freedom? Mm-hmm. Counterspin, but mm-hmm. how do we know they're telling the truth? Right, okay I mean that's a good, that's a really good question and yes absolutely ask those questions another fundamental one that I would urge people to consider is what are these people's backgrounds? What have they done at a community level prior to putting themselves forward for uh, election now. Do they have a community engagement history? Have they done much work uh, in the past that is that is beneficial to you know that that deserves your vote because the thing is that many of these people and this is a question worth asking them many of these people have done nothing before and so they've been urged by some of these organisations to put themselves forward because they believe in some of their values should we call them that um, but with no prior history that kind of warrants uh, a vote so that would be a really good question what have you done before thank you it's nine minutes past four and next week. The government is set to decide whether to change the country's COVID traffic light setting to green or possibly do away with it altogether. And that would mean that businesses would be the ones to decide whether they'd require the use of face masks on premises. So for her her thoughts on this, Retail NZ Public Affairs Manager Amy Hines. Kia ora, good afternoon, Amy. Kia ora, Karen, how are you? I'm I'm well, thank you. How have businesses, businesses been finding this requirement to wear masks? Yeah, look, I think they're, um, one, they've been really struggling in regards to the mental health and well-being of their staff. Um, you know, they get um, massive levels of aggression um, from customers who aren't wearing staff or if they innocently ask them to put a, star, uh, a mask on. That's because, obviously, there's the ability to self-exempt with what's going on in the government's um, rules. Or you get a $4,000 fine that's not being um, enforced. Um Compliance is incredibly low around masks. About two-thirds of our retailers are telling us that um, customers are ignoring requirements. So probably a quarter of New Zealanders are engaging in mask use in store at the moment. 
And so they're finding it difficult to police, obviously. That's the big issue. They don't want to have to police it. So as far as uh, retail is concerned, they'd like to see it done away with next week. Yeah, they would. And the thing is, is they don't want to be um, policing it in any shape or form. You know, the police, the government has put through uh, mechanisms that it's a $4,000 fine. But at the same time, as you said, there's a loophole. I mean, essentially, everyone in New Zealand could self-exempt themselves and there's nothing anyone could do about it. But then the rules don't make sense. You, you must wear them in a shop, but not in a pub, not in a cafe or not in a sports stadium. Our view is everyone should be free to wear the mask if they wish to do so. We think many will, but we think it's time to move on from the compulsory requirement. What about the workers themselves, protection for them from com- people coming in who, you know, the other way around? Yeah, and I think many of them feel comfortable either wearing a mask or a lot of them ask for those, um, those shields on the counters. Um, and I think that's what it comes to the fact that personal choice between anyone. I know a lot of retailers will enable their teams to continue to wear masks if that's what they feel like doing, um, but others won't be forcing them either. And can I just ask you, what's going to happen to uh, all those names and addresses and phone numbers that they've collected over the years on those uh, pads at the door? Where do they go to? <laughs> Well, those were done away way with um, about a year ago. Mm, where'd they go? In the rubbish? Um, well, they would have actually on the rubbish, but a lot of them were actually, there was a requirement to hold on to those for a certain period of time under the COVID-19 tracing rules. So you, you'll find that they're kept in a safe place for some of them, um, but that requirement has stopped. So most of them had um, got rid of them. Thank you. Wade, even if there were no mask mandates, will you still wear one in, in shops, for example? Uh, me personally, um, I think... Oh, oh, so, sorry, I was just asking Wade, our panellist, Amy. That's right, sorry. No, I get confused with Amy all the time. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, well, at the, at the, at the theatre, we're not uh, forcing it. We're just seeing people, yeah, giving people the freedom of choice if they want to wear one, they can wear one. Um, but uh, I wore a mask today, but that's because I've just come out and uh, still have a faint blue line on my test. So um, I just think, um, yeah, if you want to wear one, wear one. So you're concerned about others. You you want to wear one so that in case you're infectious, which you're not, but in case you are. Yes, I'm I'm not, but I just I just feel just a common courtesy. And I had a you know a catch up with someone today in person, and I just said you know I'm happy to wear the mask, and he's like oh, I appreciate that. So I just, I just wore it. I mean, I also spent time living in Japan. It was just common practice if you if you had a cold, you just wore a mask. It was just common courtesy to look after each other. And Paula, what do you think is going to happen next week, Crystal Ball? Hmm. Um, I suspect, given the way that you know some of the things that we've just been hearing about the diminished use and also the difficulties for the likes of retail workers, and I really feel for them. I've seen some put in horrendous situations where people are being aggressive because they feel that they're being imposed upon. I suspect probably that the system is that the traffic lights are going to be downgraded or upgraded, whichever way you want to uh, look at it. I, I, I don't know. It is a crystal ball, isn't it? But the thing about it is that it's kind of it's an interesting discussion that we probably need to have about the sort of our collective um, responsibility and approach to this and the, and the sort of politicisation of things like masks. When, as Wade has just described in some Asian countries, for instance, they were commonly used well before COVID ever came along out of a common courtesy towards other people. And so even Mm. if there's no rule that says you have to do it, you'd like to think that people have now um, been a little bit more educated about our responsibilities towards each other and that they might wear them anyway. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm not sure what will happen, but the politicisation of it and the kind of 
description of them as being some massive imposition when, yeah, they're not that comfortable to wear, but it's only a mask. It's not, you know, we're not denying any huge freedom here. And if it's collectively helping our health, especially people who are immunocompromised, then it feels like it's not a great big deal to me. And on a lighter note, pretty good if you've got a cold sore. <laughs> well, I was, was going to say, Karen, in, in Japan, um, women would wear masks but they didn't want to put makeup on. So they yeah. just go, you know, just, they just pop, pop a mask on and go, no, not wearing makeup. It's like the guys who just iron the front of their shirts in a suit, you know, just the, <laughs> the front part that shows. It's yeah. kind of this use masks for that. I can relate to that. I think lipstick's a thing of the past. Absolutely. It just rubs off on the mask. <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> <laughs> RNZ National, this is the panel. It's a quarter past four. Onto the subject of school lunches. And the Northland Age reports that school lunches have resulted in large amounts of food waste because things like reheated kumara mash or meatball burgers as part of the government's Kaora Kaako Healthy Lunches in Schools program weren't that attractive to the little mouths they were designed to feed. They just wanted a peanut butter sandwich and a bit of fruit. Uh, well, with us on the program is Taitokara Principals Association President Pat Newman. Kia ora, Pat. Kia ora. Is it a matter of the food not being up to scratch or is it the fact that, well, perhaps that kids are naturally being picky? Um, I think it's a bit of both, but mainly, look, I'm totally supportive of the Food and Schools program. I've got to say that to start off with. And, and secondly, um, we've fought for years to get this thing, and I, I call it teething problems, okay? Um, at my own school, we run it ourselves. I've got eight parents employed doing it, and we, we tailor it to the needs of our kids, but we do get children that don't like the lunches all the time. Um, for instance, we do a lot of wraps with chicken in them and lettuce and all that. We actually had to teach some of our kids what lettuce was. Um, lettuce? Yeah, because until we started putting in a wrap, some of them had never had it. Now, there's a difference between, and I accept that there is, it seems to be one provider that is causing some of the problems. Um, but in, in the main, we have a real need for kids to have the school lunch scheme. Yes, and, and it's, it's based on an equity index, isn't it? I mean, there's, there's still 944 schools around the country who do have this, including the Chatham Islands. It's a very big rollout. Yeah, it's superb. I will say that, in my view, some of the requirements under the healthy food stuff are, are putting it bluntly, bloody ridiculous. Are they um, what? Like what? Well, you're not supposed to have anything that's fried. Everything's supposed to be sort of wholemeal rather than ordinary flour. Like, for instance, if we do wraps, we have to get the wholemeal wraps, which taste to me like cardboard, personally. Um, but, you know, there are some some requirements because it's got to be healthy food. Um, and that sounds yeah that that that, that are ridiculous. Um, so sometimes, personally, I think it would be good to give the kids peanut butter sandwiches. But, <laughs> yes. You know, you, but it's at the same time, I'm not rubbishing the program because of rubber. We fought for too long to get it because we have huge needs. How are and, the contractors chosen? You know, yours is a little bit different. Different, but if you've got it outsourcing it, how are they chosen? I think there were certain people that wrote up, certain companies wrote up the um, the requirements and got selected as preferred people by the ministry because they could write a good story. Um, and then 
schools chose who they were, and I think they were lumped into a, a two-year um, program. I'm not sure, but I know in Northland, a lot of schools are now following the idea of doing it themselves and using community um, using community people to do it. Um, and that, that, that has been a lot more successful than bringing in the outside firms. Uh, Peria School, uh, like you, cooks all their meals on site. And it took them quite a lot to, to put that together. It wasn't easy. You know, they had to actually put aside a building and make it into a commercial kitchen, but they did it. And no, no, you can't, it doesn't have to be a commercial kitchen. Doesn't it? No, well, you can't have a commercial kitchen in the school because to be a commercial kitchen, you have to have the water temperature at a certain level, which is above what you're allowed to put into a school. You have to follow commercial, which is good. You have to follow commercial kitchen guidelines. I see. Yep, that makes sense. And and that makes a huge difference. That's what allowed us to do it. Um, And we just got an A grade from our one. I couldn't believe it. Um, Well done. (laughs) You know, but look, it's crucial. And yes, some kids are picky. We have it at home. Every mother and father should know that when they sit down to tea, at times their kids will say, we don't like this. Personally, when I was a kid, I hated pumpkin. You know, so you've got that sort of thing as well coming in. And, and to me, if you're hungry, you'll eat it. It's, it's Paula speaking. I wonder whether you and the teachers have noticed any or much of a difference in terms of the children's ability to function and focus and, and, huge, and learn. Huge, huge. And we feed breakfast to the kids as well. And huge difference. And even things like stolen lunches and all that has all disappeared. Um, yeah, no, huge difference. Yeah, well, well, it's it's, it's common it's... sense. If you're sitting there with a, a, a rumbling stomach and you're hungry, your priority is not to learn anything. I was just going to say it would be a shame if this tarnished the good works that so many schools are doing. So how can those schools that perhaps be brought into line so that their children do enjoy these lunches and don't go home starving? I think this is very, very simple. They contact the ministry and say we're not satisfied with the provider and the ministry goes back to the contract and says there's a heck of a lot of people not happy with what you're providing. Why Why aren't they doing that though? Well, sometimes they need a bit of a help to, to do what they need to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fair enough. If so, you yeah, I um, do. But, well, you know, at the end of the day, I would encourage schools to employ their, lo- up here anyway, to employ their own local people to do their own thing. Um, and, and, yeah. What was on the menu Great. today? What did you have for lunch today? Well, we didn't have anything because we had a teacher only day, but... Um, <sighs> <laughs> Yesterday I was over at uh, Tikipanga High where they do their own and we had a beautiful chicken soup. Um, really nice. nice. We do a lot of wraps. We do a lot of... Um, oh, that, that sort of it has to be a, a sort of a vegan... Oh, it's not the word for it. It has to be a vegetable sort of um, hamburger, but you can actually get really nice ones that surprise me because I normally would have said, oh, yuck, but it was quite nice. Um we do soups, um, and they're very nice, you know, a range of things. And we're just getting into now um, doing a bit of rice and, and um, curry and that sort of thing on top. Yeah, so don't knock it. Don't, don't knock it. Don't take it away. If you've got a problem with it, go to the ministry and say, fix it. Understood. Thank you very much. And what, you get to go home early today? Oh, mind you, you'd be out by now, wouldn't you? 
Uh, no, I'm sitting in a meeting in the ministry <laughs> looking at another problem. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Thank you very much, Pat. Not a problem. Bye. Tai Tokarao Principals Association President Pat Newman. Uh, what did you have on your school lunches, Paula? Uh, lots of sandwiches and, yeah, it's a while ago. <laughs> Same. <laughs> hard, to, hard to remember back that far. Lots of sandwiches. I remember my mother used to make a kind of, you know, like thing, a little parcel of nuts because that was probably the days before you could buy, you know, those little individualised packets. Yeah, this is a while ago. <laughs> yeah. Kids have their own agenda, yes. obviously, Wade. Uh, I mean, have you ever sat in front of a, what was it, that Pat said pumpkin? Uh, being sat down at the table and you couldn't leave until you finished your, your dinner or whatever? Oh, it wasn't pumpkin for me. And my mother used to make this hor- horrible par- parsnip and carrot mash. And it was <laughs> I just, remember you know, that. And, and it just had to push that around the plate, but you weren't allowed to leave. And if you tried to, guess what was for breakfast? I mean, it was just, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I still make my kids um, lunches. They're 15 and 12, and I still make their lunches for them. And, you know, they get things like, you know, in the very the privileged position we're in, they get like smoked salmon wraps and avocado and stuff. Wow. And I just kind of, while, it's, while I love making it for them and, you know, nurturing their brain and learning all that kind of stuff, I still just think, my God, my father would give, give me $5 and said, buy a pie and a custard square for lunch, and that was it kind of thing. So very, very different times. And you support this Healthy School Lunches program? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So what Pat was saying, yeah, if you're not happy with it, uh, don't get rid of it. Just go and um, you know, get the suppliers because it's, um, yeah, I think it's so important. A child can't learn, learn. And a hungry child will eat, and if they don't have their food, they'll eat your food. Yeah, 220,000 people uh, are part of the sp- – students, children yeah. are part of yeah, this. there was an absolute need, mm. wasn't there? RNZ National, it's 24 minutes past four. Someone points out that Pat, ah, he's a, he's food picky too. <laughs> <laughs> a little, that's right. And tattoos, we're on the subject of that now. And the writer Emily Wrights is featured in Stuff today. And it's a piece from journalist Bess Manson about a new book of Emily's, Needs Adult Supervision. And Bess has woven into the piece the story behind Emily Wrights's tattoos. For example, she has a tattoo of her dog, Twinkle, a rescue dog, still alive. Uh, And then she has another one which reads, All We Have Is Each Other, and various other personal events and philosophies in ink. And Wade, you got any tattoos? Have you told the story of your life on your body? Uh, No, I do do have tattoos. In fact, I'm actually booked in next month to get another one. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so I've got one one done uh, when I was in Japan uh, 10 years ago. So I have a Japanese... um, uh, proverb that says Bunburyodo uh, in Japanese, which translates to uh, it's four it's four kanji, four characters that translates to both the path of the scholar and the warrior. Uh, so that's on my left leg, and then I'm going in next uh, next month to get uh, two sessions to get a um, Bahudakawa and a Tui on my arm, which represents each of my children. Hmm, that's nice. nice. How? And uh, yeah. they're not called Bahudakawa and Tui, I imagine. Big pardon? The, they're not. They're not called by those names. No, they're not. No, no, no. But they do have. Um, we have given them um, Maori middle names um, uh, to represent the. You know, coming from from Aotearoa. But uh, yeah, that's just um, the placenta. My son. For my the story behind that is uh, my son's placenta is uh, buried up in um, Tafranui uh, under under Bahutukawa tree, and uh, my daughter just kind of um, 
uh, sings like a tui, so she's kind of that's that's the uh, animal that represents her. Oh, that's lovely. So that is a story of your life, and that's why it must be the impetus for yeah. many people getting tattoos. But Paula, it's hard to find uh, anyone of a certain age, a younger generation, who isn't tattooed. Mm. Uh, do you think it'll it'll go out of fashion? I, d- I don't know. Some of it is a, a, an element of fashion, isn't it? But there's, you know, my, both my children have tamoko, so it's uh, not a fashion thing. It is a whakapapa thing, and they're so they're meaningful and beautiful. Um, I have one, <laughs> but no, mine's just a little one that's usually under my watch strap, actually, so it's kind of just there for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking, I can't see it, it's under your watch strap, right? Um, I find them really, I find them really interesting, and I love people's, the be- the the thought that they've put into them and how beautiful some of them are. Some of them are dreadful, of course, and you, there's some great, there's some great stuff online about the disasters that no regrets one for instance, no regrets, my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, I, the only thing I'd say personally is that there's a hesitation about like art on the wall you might want to take it down at some point and it's not really possible. And apparently the laser removal process is very painful. Is it? Yeah. I imagine it is. Uh, here we've got some text what, here. The, you, oh, carry on, Wade. I was going to say, it's not, it's not, the tattoo under your watch isn't a watch by any chance, is it, Paul? Because that could be quite <laughs> no, fun to be play. clever. <laughs> yeah, no. take, take the watch off, people are like, what? Yeah. About uh, healthy school lunches, our kids' primary school has been getting locally made school lunches for the past two years, and the improvement in children' behaviour and learning has been amazing. Mm. So it's good. And, uh, yeah, peanuts and peanut butter can kill common allergy. Good point. That is a very good point. And a uh, big fan of parsnip and carrot mash, but also of Wade Jackson. <laughs> No. Thanks always for the work you did at Mangere oh. College Alternative Education. That's for you, Wade. Oh, right. Oh, and, lovely. And really, who gives an F about your tattoos? That's from Max in Christchurch. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I'm not enough. having him tattooed then. I'm not having them tattooed on me then. Yeah. <laughs> no. And about masks, um, you're forgetting how important it is seeing the whole face for communication, whether a child is learning to speak, hearing the impaired and elderly, the importance of seeing the lips for speech and expression. How long exactly are panellists suggesting that we keep wearing masks? That's from Shelley. So mm. while we've got a pandemic, <laughs> might be the answer. We're still in it. People seem to think it's over. If they do indeed, uh, in terms of the legislation, the act that uh, they'll be looking at next week is the Epidemic Preparedness COVID-19 Notice 2020. Uh, if that legislation isn't renewed, um, then perhaps there is actually going to be some new legislation in its place. You can't imagine there'll be nothing, can you? I mean, you know, they're going to be driven by advice, I presume, Um, and the legislation has changed, as we've seen. It's been quickly introduced at times, and the science evolves, obviously. You know, I think the description that those who have been uh, making the decisions have have used is that it's like, you know, building the plane while you're flying it. That's still the case, and so everything's still evolving. I'm not sure whether there will be new legislation or or how they will run it, but certainly the picture is ever-changing. Um, but but just back to what I said before, I think you know while the while the numbers are dropping week by week uh, at the moment, it, I, I get a little bit frustrated with the kind of idea that that it's over. There are still people dying. There are still people really sick. There are still huge mm. effects, and we won't even know for quite some time yet the extent of long COVID. And so you know the 
the um, haste to abandon these precautionary measures is, I don't know, we'll look back on it and wonder whether, we, whether we've moved too quickly to abandon some of these things because people are just sick of them. Thank you very much, Paula Penfold, investigative journalist, and Wade Jackson, my guests today on the panel. And the headlines now.